Stop! You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. USC 294. Okay guys, let's go, let's do this. This is the full preview. I'm your boy Fenyo and we're here to cover UFC 294. Mike Hatchet versus Volkanovski 2. This is going on at the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Arab Emirates. And it's a big pay-per-view. Obviously, as you know, these cards in Abu Dhabi always have a lot of a lot of Russian uh Asian fighters, a lot of Muslim fighters, obviously. And this card is loaded with all of the stars from that part of the world. And obviously, a lot of other good fighters. I think this card is pretty good. And and yeah, with, there are some very interesting fights that I'm looking forward to. Obviously, the main event comes as Volkanovski steps up in just 10 days. Notice to fight Islam Mahachev. This is a rematch. They already fought for the lightweight title. And Mahachev came up on top. We talk about the details about that particular fight when we get there. But as you know, as always, we're going from bottom to top, from the very first prelim to the main event. Let's get right into it. Our first fight of the night is a middleweight bout between Bruno Silva and Cherubuddin Magomedov. Let's begin with Silva. Silva is... Awkward uh, and a heavy-handed southpaw striker that switches his stances often. He marches forward looking to, for spots to land, to land long, loopy punches that he puts together surprisingly well. And also has a good eye for knees during transitions. Uh, he has good instincts in the pocket, but he can get out of position and lose stance easily during prolonged exchanges. Sometimes he uses sort of a Dracula guard. I, I've been talking about Dracula guard uh, when it comes to Muay Thai. Uh, I think Ryan Wagner uh, did a very good video about that a time ago. But basically it's like you you use a high elbow guard uh, across your face and you frame with your other hand. And yeah, he uses kind of that after throwing to protect himself. I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, other than that, Bruno Silva has heavy kicks that are mostly disjointed from, from his boxing, uh, to be honest, but they they are useful to add variety to his game to not get predictable. Uh, he's decently strong in the clinch, and he mostly waits for opportunities to land something big, especially very dangerous during breaks, putting combinations together with the hands. Uh, Silva is not much of a shoot wrestler, but he's a very good scrambler with good submission defense, and... His ground pound is terrifying. He was claiming to be like the best ground pound in the UFC. And I understand why he feels that way. He's very good at posturing up and landing uh, straight damaging shots from top position. Uh, Bruno Silva used to have like a, this iron shin and it seems like AJ is starting to catch up to him, especially in that department. And on the other hand, we have uh, Charbutin making his debut here. He's a bouncy kickboxer. Most of his leads consist of kicks. He's good at timing hard naked leg kicks and has a very dexterous lead kick. Uh, I mean, a lead leg. With a good side kick to manage distance and a quick hook kick, so look out for that. Charbutin uh, puts out decent volume and can move on the outside or march forwards. Uh, he puts attacks together using the variety of kicks to set up and he can also punch off the kicks as well. 
Uh, other than that, he's not much of a boxer, I would say. But he has, like, very decent power because he's an athletic dude. Uh, Chabutin is dangerous in the clinch, especially if he gets to, like, full collar ties or, like, cross, cross face. Uh, and he has very good technique and power on his knees. I think that's something that that has is not being talked about enough in MMA is that uh, the difference that it makes to have like good technique on your knees inside the clinch like the you get to do a lot more damage with the right technique is one of the of the parts where like striking mechanics are very important I would say are uh, knees especially in the clinch and Charabutin has very damaging uh, kicks you you can tell that he can open his hips very well he can dig him uh, very deep with his flexibility. Um, he has been hard to take down so far in his career. He looks for underhook or wizards and use the knee shield well and he, that is aided by his athleticism and his good balance. Uh, the level of opposition that Charabuti has been facing has been nothing stellar and his grappling level in actual MMA in actual MMA fights remain a question mark. As we know he has been participating in grappling tournaments most notably that viral clip where he got mad at a guy using a leg lock against him when he asked him to not use a leg lock. It was very weird stuff. Okay, so to be honest, I've been having a very hard fight predicting this fight. A very hard time, excuse me. Uh, in a scenario like this, I would pick Silva to win by default because uh, Bullet Charabuddin hasn't faced uh, this level of opposition yet. But Silva has been looking more fragile and slow as of late. And uh, the other thing is that he's not really a taken artist, despite being dangerous on the ground. If he stays on the feet, though, it's not a surefire victory for the Russian, because Silva um, has probably like the best combination of skills, experience, and athleticism that that Charabuti has faced in MMA. I mean, he, he had a kickboxing career prior, but you know, MMA is a different game. Especially someone can like he can end up on bottom. You never knows. Uh, to me, this one really looks like a conflict, but I'm sticking with my usual stick of picking the proven product. I'm going Bruno Silva by knockout on the second round. And now we move to the strawweight division. We have Jinju Frey versus Victoria Dudakova. Uh, Frey, uh, I would describe as a well-rounded southpaw. Uh, she's an alright striker. A bit on the stiff side, but she can put combos together and has decent counters off sleeves, especially. Uh, she has a good wrestling game, and is and the wrestling game is aided by good physicality. She has options to finish takedowns, especially from the single leg. Uh, she can run the pipe, she can transition to high crotch, that kind of stuff. And she can also smother opponents in the clinch against the cage, and, and sometimes she finds like, good openings for strikes or try to drag the opponent to the mat with the double under or drop to the legs, uh, especially using the single leg that I already mentioned. She has decent top control, but the like, the ground pound is kind of like lesser, especially because she's kind of on the small side for the weight class. So I think it takes a lot of effort for her to, to keep people on the ground. Uh, Frey is well put together, but she's inconsistent and she can get like two focus in single areas that you can tell like, if the game plan is to wrestle, she only wrestles. Uh, she can get into like boxing range to match, that kind of stuff. On the other hand, we have Dudakova. Uh, she's big and aggressive, uh, mostly a clinch fighter. Uh, not much depth to her striking, but she throws hard and pressures to get to the clinches that she wants. Inside the clinch, she often looks for trips and throws. Uh, 
she can get those from over-unders, from double underhooks. And she has a few tricks like wizard kicks. I've been talking a lot about wizard kicks this week. Um, she's also a capable wrestler on open space. She has a good single leg and she can chain attempts or come up to the upper body and push her opponent to the cage and work her clinch game. Uh, the takedown defense is not impenetrable though, uh, but she works hard to, to reward or try to sweep from bottom position and she uses her length and her strength to her advantage in those situations. She has solid top, uh, top control um, and she often postures up for her knees or to her feet to, lead, to land big ground and pound. That's something to look out for here. I think Frey just has too many things going against her in this fight. She's not a bad fighter in my opinion, but she's small and old for the division. And she's fighting like a big girl that uses her size and her youth to her advantage. Uh, Frey's own delving into clinching and wrestling might come in handy here. And she probably has like a striking advantage, so not, not all is lost. But I gotta pick Dudakova to win a unanimous decision here. And with that, we move to Featherweight. It's uh, one that I'm very excited about. Uh, it's Nathaniel Good against Mohamed Naimov. So Wood, uh, stocky and athletic striker that looks to walk people down behind like a high guard, uh, from which he can counter with quick hands, either with catch and pitch counters or off slips and fades. So he has some variety to his counter game. He has hard leg kicks and he can throw on the lead or he's actually pretty good as as a counter leg kicker, especially when uh, the other fighters try to like kick in the middle or hike. And he also has like sneaky snap kicks to the body that he can throw from long range, or more interestingly, when he throws them like in uh, from close quarters in boxing range, it's a very good tool. Uh, he's strong in the clinch. Uh, he there in the clinch he mixes uh, dirty boxing with some very slick trips and foot sweeps. Uh, he's easily strong on top control, but he can struggle to get uh, ground and pound going against like longer foes, uh, similar to what I was talking about. Jinju um, uh, Fry uh, just a fight ago, um, and, we w and I was just talking on on Twitter about that, about like Frankie Edgar that has a very impressive like top control game but he couldn't really get going against like big wrestlers you know, at 155 like Benson Henderson, BJ Penn, Gray Maynard. Getting back on track about uh, Nathaniel Good, um, uh, he has very solid takedown defense and that's aided by his stocky build and he he'll often fights from a wide base. He's a good scrambler, but he can be controlled if put flat on his back, especially by bigger guys. We saw that against Andrew Philly. And his opponent is Naimov. Uh, I would describe Naimov as a powerful tactics-based striker. Uh, he likes to spend the fight at like neutral space, fainting and looking for openings for big single shots or to counter. He has big leg kicks, and those are like his most consistent scoring tool. But he will also look for like short two or three punch combinations on the lead, and will attack with kicks from both stances on all levels. He's very like dynamic in that sense. Uh, talking about dynamism, he will look for like spinning kicks and back fists, so he's dangerous. Uh, the thing with Naimov is that he's, ki he's kind of uncomfortable under pressure, but he remains dangerous as a counter threat. 
uh, with hooks and uppercuts. Watch out for the uppercuts here, especially uh, against the shorter firing wood. Uh, he can time those uh, on entries or in, in the middle of an exchange. And Aimovu looks to me like physically strong in the clinch, but the grip fighting can be a bit lacking at times. He can be like just chilling in the clinch sometimes, so some some fighters will be able to take advantage of that. Uh, if he gets taken down, he looks to weigh, uh, he looks to work his way back to his feet very urgently. Though this is a very interesting fight between a former bantamweight in Wood and Naimov, who has been a career featherweight but didn't look that small in his last fight against uh, against Jamie Molarki at 155. Uh, volume and consistency are on the side of Wood, but Naimov offers a few interesting challenges. Uh, mostly his powerful kicking game, so Wood uh, won't get to kick for free on this fight. And also the ability to counter in the pocket. Uh, always dangerous for the smaller guy. Uh, Wood uh, has been mostly surprised by long strikes uh, by rangy foes. Uh, for example, the, the long straight left that Andrew Feely got him with. And the defense in the pocket has looked very solid and the chin in the pocket has looked very solid too. But watch out because Naimov is big and and has has fast hands, so you never know. But you take a gamble when you stay in the in the pocket for so long. Uh, despite that, I'm still expecting Wood to be like the more resourceful and busy fighter out there. And getting it done, so my pick is uh, Nathaniel Wood by decision. And with that, we move to a lightweight bout is Anshu Jubli versus Mike Breeden. Jubli uh, rode to UFC lightweight winner. He makes his return here. He's like a long striker that's mostly fight behind the jab. Uh, the one, two, and a straight right to the body. Those are like the, his main three options at open range. And uh, he uses those waiting for a response to fade back and come back with the left hook. He's all about that. He works better pressuring with steady volume. Uh, he's strong in the clinch with knees. Uh, good knee technique, as we were talking about earlier. And he has some wrestling chops. And both things are the knees and the, the wrestling are aided by his good use of his frame and his length. The takedown defense has been suspect, especially when he plants his feet to throw. But he works very diligently to get back up. And he's good at using momentum to keep scrambles going. He showed some new offensive wrestling skills in his last fight when he won the tournament on the road to UFC. Uh, from the clinch and the single leg, he looks solid with the single leg running the pipe, uh, using sweeps um, and trips. And he has solid top control with an impressive mount. I was very surprised with his ability to maintain mount against against like explosive explosive buckles and breaches that his opponent was using. And uh, he has damaging strikes. And, and the ability to, to maintain position, as I already said. Uh, he knows well what he wants to do, but he seems to lack like experience against high-level opposition, and the depth of his tool, tool, toolkit is still developing. Uh, the cardio seems to be fine, but nothing great, so maybe third round will get interesting here. His opponent is breathing. Uh, I would describe, describe breathing as a pressuring combination puncher, steady volume, Goes to the body a lot, I like that. Uh, the thing with Brian is that his punching mechanics uh, rob him of a lot of power, especially when he gets into longer combinations. You can see a lot of like bowing right hands that do not carry so the, that much power uh, because he gets in good good positions to unload with combinations. He has fat, fast hands, but you can tell that 
Uh, the longer the combination goes, the, the weaker the punches get, I would say. Uh, uh, Breeden is like an average athlete with decent but not stellar cardio. He's well-rounded, but he does his best work standing up, marching forwards. Uh, defense is like Luster, I would say, uh, particularly against straight shots down the middle. Watch out for that against Jubilee. And, and also, he has been caught a lot by left hooks inside the pocket. So, another thing to watch out for, because he doesn't tend to hide behind his shoulders during combinations. Takedown defense could also use some work, but he's a decent grappler and, and a good scrambler too, so that makes up for that. Uh, Breeden is riding a three-fight losing streak, and he was KO'd just two months ago by Terence McKinney. Uh, this fight is not unwinnable for him, but the circumstances, plus him being like just an average athlete with technical flaws, uh, makes uh, picking breathing very hard for me here. If the fight goes long and Breeden gets going, punching to the body, maybe he could make something happen, but Jubilee has like the long-range tools, uh, he has the left hook in the pocket, as I said, so so yeah, I mean, even if Breeden gets to, gets to fight like his fight, I do not think it's like uh, super easy for him, this is kind of rough, to be honest. I'm picking Jubilee by knockout on the third round. Next fight is a middleweight bout, Cedricus Dumas versus Abu Asaitar. Uh, not a big fan of this fight, to be honest. <laughs> so Dumas, a uh, long and athletic striker with fast hands and kicks, usually feints at range looking to throw big strikes. Uh, he has a decent sense of rhythm and timing. Uh, his stance usually falls apart when trying to put longer combinations, especially when he tries to move forwards. And uh, his defense is like entirely re reliable on backing up or the high guard. The wrestling seems to be improving for Dumas, but the takedown defense always has like these sketchy moments. Uh, but as a grapper, he, he looks pretty competent, to be honest. Uh, he has like good fundamentals and, and also has shown like good awareness to work get-ups and time like the sweeps and that kind of stuff and also he's very urgent about uh, both scooting to the walk uh, to the wall to wall walk uh, but he can get sloppy during scumbles um, and he, he uses the athleticism and the size a lot as a caution for mistakes uh, the other thing about Dumas is that so far he seems coachable but other than that, there's a lot of like question marks around him. He he doesn't have that few fights, but but the level of opposition hasn't been the highest. On the other hand, we have Abu Asaitar, a stocky, powerful striker. He's all about the left hook and the overhand right. He loves his loopy shots. Uh, in his last fight, he seemed more inclined to feint and throw a hard spearing jab. So that was an interesting development, especially for a guy that is so deep in his career already. But he's not like a jabber that looks to to build his game around it. He mostly uses the, the jab like for variety or like a setup for the right hand. He can get wild during combos. Uh, he often uh, ends up like shifting, throwing loopy shots. He has a decent feel for countering. Uh, usually like wait for a shot, drop his level and comes back with the left hook or the overhand right according to what he's seeing. So he possesses some danger as a, uh, as a counter threat. 
Uh, he can sometimes put like hard leg kick at the end of combinations, but he's not very consistent with that. He's also like looks for big knees during transitions. So, but those parts are like kind of disjointed for the rest of this game. Uh, Saitar is not much of a grappler or wrestler to be honest, but his strength and athleticism can bail him out because he can explode like hard when he fights the right opportunity. Uh, Saitar here is coming from a two and a half year layoff, so it's hard to know how he will look like. Uh, he seems to be cut from like a similar cloth, uh, like Dumas, uh, as in that he's an explosive athlete with a good feel for fighting, but without much nuance. Uh, because obviously, I, if you look at both guys and how they fight, they look like very dissimilar. But then you you see like what they want to do. They are kind of similar. Like they are like guys that have have a, a good head for fighting, but are not like super skilled. But they have this good feel and timing, and you can tell like both guys fall apart when they try to put like three punches together in a combination. Uh, I think this one is anyone's fight, and I guess I would have to favor the more experienced Asaitar here, especially if it goes long, but I don't know, I'm picking the fresher, more active fighter here, sadly, <laughs> I'm picking Cedric Dumas by knockout on the first round. And next one is very, very good, maybe my favorite fight on the card. Uh, Bantamweight action is Javid Basharat versus Victor Henry, so Basharat. Bashar is mostly an in-and-out striker, he's all about the jab and the threat of the jab, he's constantly jabbing or feigning with his lead hand, and he's always looking to set up of the reactions he gets. Uh, one, two, slow kicks, and the left hook to the body, but he also likes to like hand fight into elbows and throw the, the spinning kicks here and there, spinning back fists too. Uh, he likes the spinning back fists of the hand fight as well too, that's kind of cool. So yeah, he like really opens up once he starts uh, getting the opponent to respect the jab. He has also a good snap kick to the body. Uh, he has an ability to switch to southpaw, and he plays a pretty decent like double attack game with uh, a straight left and the left left kick, and that adds to the attrition and unpredictability of him. Uh, Basharat has decent footwork. He can move out the outside well and use big misdirections to keep safe. But he can also walk people down behind his jab, so that's a very good tool to have the ability to to just pressure when you are like get get going. Uh, something that is lacking for a lot of guys that like to outfight in MMA, uh, Basharat does not have that trouble. Uh, most of Basharat's defense relies on the in and out footwork, uh, him waiting for counters after the jab, or he likes to pull back a lot. But he also is good at like changing levels into clinches to stay safe. Uh, I would say Javid is mostly vulnerable when he's trying to put longer combinations together or when the opponent can't time his entries uh, with a same time counter. Um, that's the times like where he actually like leaves the chin up in the air and he doesn't see strikes coming so he can be hurtable at those times. He's a very good MMA wrestler and the athleticism, the length and the fundamentals to prop it up. Uh, Basharat is surprisingly good at shooting at the legs for someone uh, of his length and he's good at both double legs and single legs. Uh, he's a good scrambler with a very strong wizard to defeat takedown attempts from his foes. Uh, from top position he has steady ground and pound, good positioning and that means that he can eat up 
time on top position or find submission attempts. Uh, but he his top control kind of lacks during transitions. Obviously, I mean that's always the case. But uh, often during fights, like Javid has like guys stick to the floor, and then when he tries a pass or something like that, that's where his opponents have been able to get up to their feet. And the cardio has been looked like excellent so far by Javid too. His opponent is Victor Henry. Uh, Victor Henry, I would describe as a pace fighter. Like in the in the mode of like kinda like Tony Ferguson, that he's not very concerned about pushing you against the cages. He's mostly about like keep exchanges happening time and time again and just volume and volume. Uh, so yeah, he's a pace fighter who keeps an insane volume, has a deep bag of tricks to keep pushing the pace. From long range, he's a good kicker with good timing and variety, and he knows how to pair his attacks well. A snap kicks to the body. Uh, from both legs are the main tool that he uses and it's a very good attrition tool by the way inside the pocket he plays mostly a, like a low power but always high volume game where he puts his hands together well uh, he's very good at varying targets and has very good eyes he has some incorporated head movement but he mostly relies on his eyes and rolling with the shots hiding behind his shoulders that kind of stuff if the opponent shells up, he's also good at setting up a good variety of like elbows or grabbing ties to unload with solid knees. Uh, he's strong in the clinch. He's a very solid wrestler, especially defensively and on the mat. But but he sometimes takes like a gamble and a crazy submission, especially leg locks, and that that can get him in trouble, put him in bottom position. I would say the main weakness for Henry, other than the the lacking like this big power is his lack of tools to enforce the infighting that he's so good at uh, because he relies a lot on the pace to convince fighters to exchange with him and uh, he has like also like decent pressure in footwork despite his him not being so concerned with that but yeah the thing with Henry is that he mostly fights in whatever like range that he's offered and he trusts his skills in every in every phase when he could actually be looking to take the fight to a to an easier place to win. So yeah, this is a very interesting fight, has the potential for high level action. I'm very excited about this one. It is an interesting test for Basharat uh, because it's mostly because it's during prolonged exchanges when he looks more vulnerable. And Henry, you know, it's all about that staying in the pocket and prolonged exchanges. So very interesting on, on that side. On the flip side, Basharat's very committed to maintaining distance, has a number of long range tools to do so. And, and to be fair, like Henry has tools of his own and will jab and kick with Basharat for sure. So he's not gonna give him that like long range for free. And so yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how it will play out. We saw uh, Asunsao like frustrating um, uh, Victor Henry with his ability to dictate what exchanges happens and which don't. So that's interesting. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, Basharat has this very, like, committed in-and-out game, but I don't know if he has the same ability to, to control exchanges. But maybe he does. Uh, we need to also consider that Basharat likes to wrestle his opponents a lot. Uh, he's very confident about his wrestling, and it's a good, important part of his game. And Henry is a very sturdy defensive grappler, and Henry has, like, a lot of scrambling options. Uh, the fight can take a lot of directions and either man could win, but I think I gotta side with Basharat because he has like a more focused game plan 
and he and that saved by his larger frame and also he has the greater firepower in this fight so I think he wins a hard foul decision here Javid Basharat by decision is big next fight is a fight at lightweight we have Mohamed Yaya versus Trevor Peak uh, Yaya uh, mostly looks to chill at range he he has some flexibility on his directionality like he can get put on the back foot and he can also like walk forwards uh, it's a very like field based fighter uh, but yeah ideally he likes to like just be a neutral with no one pressuring or or backing up and uh, from there he looks to he looks mostly for single shots um uh, trying to draw counters or put com short combinations together. He's not much of a fainter, uh, unless they are like immediate feints that are part of the combination, but he's not someone that spends time at, at range like feinting and making his opponent twitch usually. He usually shifts when trying to close distance and, and he can lose his footing or square his stance when he does that. He does have some ideas of hiding behind his shoulder during exchanges and when countering, but his head movement is very one note. It's like a first layer of a sleep, getting back, and then not a lot, not a lot, not a lot else. Uh, he has serviceable wrestling, and uh, he I would say he's competent at wrestling BJJF. The top control has good ground and pound, and I would say that's something else to look out for him because he's pretty decent from top position. He's a decent athlete and seems to have like an okay baseline skill set, but I feel like uh, Yaya mostly wins fights by like having like big advantages in faces or in athleticism. So he's a guy that wins because he's better, you know. <laughs> I I know you guys understand what I'm saying, but but to to the credit of Yaya, he looks to be mentally tough, uh, but the cardio is not that great. And on the other hand, we have Trevor Peak. Trevor Peak is very aggressive. Throws everything at a hundred percent. He has some good ideas of how to put strikes together, and even how to like proactively use defense during combinations. Uh, I was surprised to see that because he's so wild. And uh, talking about wild, the, the thing is that he gets wild and loses all form uh, the, the longer the combinations goes. Uh, but still, he, he has a decent timing and has the willingness to exchange that makes him very dangerous. Uh, Tropic is a good athlete that carries tremendous power and uh, he makes up for his lack of nuisance with uh, actually a lot of fainting. I, I know I clowned on Trevor Peak with a, with a very popular tweet <laughs> about him fainting like a, like a hammer fist from, from open range but actually Peak actually faints a lot and I think that's a, a good quality that he has. Uh, Pick is not a very good wrestler, but he's a very persistent scrambler with solid uh, jiu-jitsu. But he relies a lot on like exploding during transitions to get back to his feet. He's tough and conditioned, but the cardio can get out of hand just because of how hard he fights. Like I'm pretty sure Trevor Pick has good cardio, but he just fights too fucking hard. So you're gonna get tired fighting like that. Uh, I would say uh, the sloppiness and the eventual predictability of what he does are the biggest flaws for Trevor Peak. I think this is a fight between two guys who rely on having a good feel for fighting. Uh, while Yaya is like measured and waits for opportunities patiently, Peak's, Peak is like a wrecking ball that doesn't mind getting into a messy fight and he's only focused on inflicting damage. Uh, Yaya's risk averseness 
um, better like technique and mechanics might make him look like the better fighter, but I don't think he has like the depth of skills to really punish Big uh, for all the mistakes Big does. He brings the fight and he makes you fight like super hard. And I think it's that aggression that it's going to win him the fight. I'm picking Trevor Pick to win by knockout on the second round. And the last fight of the prelims is also an interesting one. Uh, we have a flyweight bout between Team Elliot and Mohamed Mokayev. Elliot, in his own words, a very awkward fighter. Uh, he has janky striking with a lot of like stutter steps, leans very deep into positions, switches stances a lot, and the punching form can be like super wonky, but he's very good at finding the mark with wide overhands uh, from both stances actually. Uh, he can be hard to predict, but his stretch technique can get him in trouble, especially if you make like one good read against Elliot, it can be very costly to him because he gets so out of position sometimes. Uh, Elliot is a strong wrestler who can find takedowns during transitions, be it from the clinch, doubles, singles. He has good variety and is a good solid chain wrestler. Uh, he's suffocating from top control, keeps busy, but his ground and pound is not really too heavy. It's mostly like a stay busy ground and pound, you know how it is. Uh, though the opponents need to be wary of elbows and knees during get-ups because he will look for those and he will put sting on those. His scrambling ability and counter-wrestling are some of the Elio's best attributes. He's excellent at keep generating movement, never gives up any position easily. But the thing with Elio is that lately in his career, um, his cardio that was once one of his biggest weapons uh, has seen him like get tired during later rounds, especially because he's starting so hot lately. And he has been caught with submissions during the crazy scrambles that he forces some people. So watch out for that too. On the other hand, we have Mokayev. Mokayev mostly pressures with like flashy strikes, big strikes and feints. Uh, mostly a variety of kicks. He really likes to like keep like long distance and close it when he wants to to get to the wrestling. Uh, Mokayev uses these tools to get his opponent to the cage. And against the cage, he's a relentless and versatile wrestler with a mix of like leg attacks, clinch throws. He has seamless transitions from one to the other. He's very like a very smothering chain wrestler. He's long and strong for the weight class. Uh, he can achieve controlling a variety of positions, but he really likes the, the rights with wrist control. He's all about that. Uh, very good mat returns from the back body lock. And he has a good arsenal of submissions. Uh, the thing with Mokai is that he has had trouble putting like good ground and pound while maintaining control, uh, but he has been he has seemed to be working on that lately. Uh, Mokayev has been reversed during submission attempts, so that's something to watch out for here in this fight. And when he has been put on his back uh, or like on the defensive and wrestling uh, context, is where he has been looked the most vulnerable. Uh, yeah, Mokayev has good attacks off his back, but he can be stuck in bottom, especially if you can like put him flat and deny the opportunity to like get to his knees and wrestle from that. Uh, but the thing about Mokayev is that he's very mentally tough and has shown the ability to come back when things get tough. Uh, last two fights, he was like super close to losing and came back to finish. So you gotta give Mokayev that. I think Elliot could present a lot of trouble to Mokayev especially with his ability to counter-wrestle. Uh, 
the, the pressure and the volume uh, that he will put on the feet. We've seen Mokayev have sketchy moments, uh, both on the feet and on the ground in his last two fights against Gordon and Filio. Elliot probably doesn't have the poor jiu-jitsu uh, that Filio and Gordon have, but he can make up for that for being like a vastly superior wrestler when it comes to mad wrestling. I think Tim Elliot is a lot better than both those guys. Um, and he also have the advantage that he will look to put Mokayev on the back foot like constantly, something that Filio tried to do and he was effective with. But I think Elliot will pressure like harder. The one thing that concerns me is that Elio's gas tank has, hasn't been the best lately. And when it comes to the day of the fight, Elio will be 13 years older than, than Mohamed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's rough. Uh, Mokayev, I think, won't, most likely won't have an easy night. But I gotta pick him. I, based on the grid, the heart, the conditioning that he has shown in his last outings. Um, and also like Mokayev seems to be like still improving and Elliot Edge is like getting more and more apparent with with each performance so my pick is Mokayev by submission on round number three. Before moving into the main card I want to remind you guys that you can support me on Coffee at coffee.com slash phenotfs the fight site and you can just make a donation or more importantly you can get a short video analysis commission i still have a few slots left for only 25 bucks uh, you can choose any three round fight uh be it boxing uh, kickboxing muay thai or mma and i'll make i'll make uh, like a five minutes or so video analysis explaining some of the tactics and strategies about that fight uh this is super super cheap but i need the money so i'm so i'm doing it so Take advantage of that <laughs> as you can. Some of the videos are already out, so you can head out to the Fight Side uh, YouTube channel if you want to check those out. If you want more details, you can always contact me on Twitter or on Discord. So yeah, I mean, for everyone that has been supporting me through the coffee page, thank you so much, and we'll get into the main card. Our first main card fight is a bantamweight bout between Said Nurmagomedov and Moin Gafurov. Let's talk about Said. Uh, he's a very quick and long kicker at open space. Uh, he has a good sweeping left hook if opponents try to run at him. He makes a start as well and has good timing and decent footwork. But he lacks like a consistent jab and he he can lack uh, like setups to his big kicks and that can hurt him. Though he can make up for it uh, with variety and speed, obviously. He's a good offensive wrestler with quick transitions, he's good at catching kicks and know how to use his long legs to take the back from a variety of positions. His length also allows him to find guillotines and that has been one of his most dangerous tools. For the exceptions of a few good countering tools in every phase, he, I mean he has the he has a lead hook at the range, uh, he catches the kicks and he has guillotines. Uh, so despite him having these tools to counter, He's obviously at his best having the initiative moving forwards himself. Uh, his, his defensive depth starts to show, uh, I mean the lack of depth, better, better said, uh, start to show in prolonged exchanges, either with him backing up in open space or being held against the cage or in bottom positions. That's where Said doesn't look as brilliant as he usually does. 
Um, all his explosive movements tend to tire him by the second round usually, but he maintains a uh, pop and shows good heart to fight tired in fights. And his opponent is Gafurov. Stocky, aggressive and powerful. He throws everything with power, mostly big, big hooks, but he has big kicks too, especially uh, with his back leg, uh, very heavy, and has an, an affinity for spinning attacks, be it like hook kicks, uh, back fist, anything with a spin, Gafarov can throw. Uh, what Gafarov lacks in nuance and subtlety, he makes up for with aggression. He does have some tricks when it comes to closing the distance, especially with shifts to cut the cage when he's moving forward. And though his shot selection is nothing to write home about, he throws so much that he eventually finds a home for his big hooks. Uh, Gafurov is a solid wrestler, both, both offensively and defensively. His scrambling and mat wrestling skills, I would say, are above average and are both like, complemented by his physicality. The cardio holds up surprisingly well for the style that he fights. Like you would expect someone that fights like Afro to get tired like way earlier. Like similar to like Trevor Peak in that sense that they do get tired, but but I mean obviously they get tired fighting the way they do, but it takes a good while for for them to get tired. Uh, but yeah, I mean eventually it gets to him because he spends so much energy and usually spends more energy than his opponents. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say in this fight, there's not a lot of paths to victory for Gafurov. Uh, his power and aggression uh, have the chance to make Saeed like very uncomfortable, but because the Russian fighter, as I said, does not like to be put on the back foot, unless it's under like his turns. He likes to sometimes like move people around, get, get back, wait for the counter. But if you like pressure hard Saeed, Saeed does not like that. But that said, Said has a plethora of long-range tools to deal with with Tajik. Uh, he holds a considerable length advantage and he's probably the more dangerous grappler, if not a straight bear wrestler. If the fight goes long, who knows? Like, Gafarov throws hit. We've seen Said tire before. And maybe Gafarov wrestling shops will allow him to not get stalled by Said once he gets tired. But I think the safest option will always be picking Nurmagomedov is Said Nurmagomedov by second round submission. And next one is a middleweight bout. We have Ikram Aliskerov versus Warley Alves. Aliskerov is mostly a pressuring wrestler with a big right hand. He looks to score with kicks at open space and looks to put combinations together if the opponent closes on him. Uh, he doesn't have a very layered defense, but he keeps a responsible like high guard on the right side and he fades back um, and he's starting to look for the shack hook a lot more and that's a good like defensive options that he has. He knows to change levels or look for clinches to stay safe in open space, uh, though that doesn't mix very well with the fade back, but, but it's good that he has like more options in that sense. He has a very quick level change and good timing and that allows him to, to look for double leg, knee tap, single leg series. And though he can be stuffed in open space, uh, he does not. For, for some reason, Aliskerov like, doesn't like to chain wrestle a lot in open space. He's mostly like shoots and if he gets it or he doesn't get it. But he mostly shines where he gets uh, his man against the cage and he can work on finishes there and there he shows to be a, like a competent chain wrestler. On top position, Aliskero is very dangerous. He has fluid transitions and 
solid top pressure and that allows him to look for a variety of submissions and also he's good at getting like mad returns uh, and he gets to the back body lock like super easily during transitions uh, one thing that it's interesting about Aliskerov is that uh, he attacks the arms a lot for, for, for both control and submissions uh, I've seen him use like chicken wings, half nelsons uh, he used uh, figure force a lot, I mean both Kimuras and Kilocks. But also he's good at arm bars. So yeah, Aliskerov has like a hate for arms that is remarkable, I would say. Uh, his opponent is uh, Warley Alves. All-rounder moving up from 170. He has a decent jab, but mostly uses to set up the right hand. He has good variety, but favors the overhand and the uppercut with, with his right hand. Uh, he has a good left body kick and he can go hard with leg kicks from both sides. He likes to close the distance with marching combinations. But if he settles in the pocket, he has like a good eyes, competent head movement. So I think that's something that he he should do more or trust more, more than the marching combinations with the head in the middle. Uh, the defense at range can be hit or miss, especially when he starts like waiting on his opponents. He's a lot better when he's dictating uh, the action. Uh, Alves is a competent wrestler with and a very solid grappler. He has like decent top control and passes. And he has a very good guillotine that he can find in transitions and defending takedowns. Uh, the thing with Alves is that he can. I feel like he gets inside his own head or tends to gas when he gets frustrated. He's a bit of a head case. Alves comes into this fight as the veteran. But surprisingly, he's only like two years older than Aliskerov and only has five more fights. I was expecting the, the experience and the age to be like more, uh, have a bigger difference, but it's not, not the case. Uh, Alves is also physical and athletic, so I don't, I don't expect him to look like weak or small at 185 against most people. But still, like being the smaller fighter against Aliskerov is like a tough proposition. Alves troubles with, I mean, the, the troubles that Alves has had with cardio might get fixed at 185, especially because his gas tank looks solid in his last fight against uh, Niklas Dalby, who is known for being tireless. And Aliskerov is both hitable and horrible. And, and also the Brazilian, as I said, has an excellent guillotine. And he always has that in his back pocket. So there's avenues for an Alves win here. But I gotta pick the larger Aliskerov to be bigger and a superior wrestler overall. So I think Aliskerov finds the submission in round number two. The next one is a light heavyweight bout 205 between Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. Ankalaev is like a rangy and mobile southpaw that is usually using his lead hand either to distract, hand fight, or jab if he gets to do it for free. Uh, he uses that to set up his kicks mostly. He's a powerful kicker on all levels, has a sticky body kicks, uh, both with like front snap kicks and cut kicks. And he's also good at taking angles to set up the outside leg kick with his lead leg. If opponents close the distance on him, he's good at countering. He can counter both with the right check hook and the straight left. Uh, he can also sit down on combinations. Uh, during combinations, he has a dangerous like rear left hook. Uh, his kick defense has been like hit or miss as he was troubled by Krilov's variety and open side kicks and also by Jan smashing his chin uh, with low kicks 
and that was also from the open side. But he has also shown the ability to check, including in his fight against Anthony Smith. Uh, he used like a high cross check that is very rare in MMA. I think he injured Smith doing that. He's also decent at catching kicks. Uh, the defense of Ankalai in the pocket mostly relies on his distance management, management and the angles that he takes. He always, always looks to like get in on an angle before start to exchange, so that keeps him safe. But the head movement seems to be there only for like the first few punches of a combination. Uh, he does have good level changes into the clinch and he uses that as a safety blanket too. Uh, talking about that, he's a good chain wrestler, both from open space shots and inside the clinch, having a good variety of finishes from trips and also single legs and knee taps. Uh, he has solid top control and ground and pound, big ground and pound, and that rounds up his game. Or than some, some defensive flaws, uh, his biggest problem in his re uh, the biggest problem for Ankalaev, I think, is his risk management, as he sometimes does, does not take over fights when he should. Uh, because a lack of volume, especially when he's like unsure of the timing or the distance, or when he has been clipped a few times, he can get like get in, into a bit of a shell. But despite that, he has shown heart and greed to push hard when it's completely necessary, as he's shown in his title bout against Blachowicz. Uh, his opponent is Johnny Walker, former absolute meme of a fighter. Uh, the athletic and lengthy Johnny Walker has been having a bit of an identity crisis since moving to SBG Ireland. He has been trying to marry his wide un unpredictability with more patience and better technique. And this change saw him have a few low volume and timid performances that saw him drop a lackluster decision to Thiago Santos and a big knockout loss to Yamaha Hill. Now he's riding a 3-5 winning streak and Walker has shown some improvements in the grappling and the range striking departments. On the feet, he now mostly looks to feint with his jab to set up low kicks and look for chances to either open up or back up looking for sweeping check hooks. And while his wrestling defense is still lacking, uh, he's still very dangerous during transitions, being capable of generating big power from weird positions. And he has improved his PJJ fundamentals. I think the grappling has been looking solid by Johnny Walker and that's one of the things that you would expect SPG fighters to get better at. The lack of depth on the feet and defending takedowns remain as flaws for Walker as, as Walker technique mostly falls apart when he tries to put combinations together and he, gets, he can lose his footing with ease uh, during exchanges. His use of athleticism and big strikes to defend takedowns as opposed to taking angles or fighting grips, being he will still be taken down by the better wrestlers of the division. And Kalaya walked into this fight with a lot of advantages and Walker won't enjoy uh, a size and athleticism advantage as big as he usually is used to have. Like Ankalaev is probably a bit smaller, a bit less athletic than Johnny Walker, but, but just a bit. So Walker won't be like this next level athlete next to, next to him. Uh, Walker, I think, has some avenues for success here. Uh, him and his camp should take note on the kicking success of Krylov and Blachowicz, as I already said. Uh, he should try to get something done with that. Walker is not like a technical kicker like uh, Krylov or Blachowicz, but he's still like incredibly dynamic and powerful. So maybe there are some things that he can achieve there. 
and Kalaib would be wise to use his wrestling here, but he needs to be careful in transitions. Uh, you don't really want to be fighting for a single single leg receiving hammer fist from Johnny Walker. Like just ask like Ryan Span about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kalayev is just the most sophisticated fighter basically everywhere. And uh, not that behind when it comes to physical gifts. So I'm picking Ankalaev by knockout on the second round. We have a co-main event at middleweight. Former 170 champion Kamaru Usman is fighting Hamzat Chimaev. So Kamaru, the former 170 king, moves up to moves up a division on only 10 days notice. Uh, Lee Kamaru Usman has been notable for his battering ram, the battering ram of a jab that he has that he can throw from both stances. And in his last few fights, uh, a return to pressuring his opponents against the cage, where, uh, which I think it's great because that's like the best Usman. Uh, he pressures people against the cage looking to find entries to the clinch, where he's in, and in the clinch he's incredibly strong from a variety of positions, including the single underhook. And from there he can unload with big punches from his free hand or look to set up knees. He's also good at putting big combinations together during breaks with good body punching when he does that. His physicality in the clinch is obviously also of note as he can support his good clinch wrestling technique with his muscle to like isolate legs for trips, muscle people around with wizards or drop to the legs and connect his hands for doubles or singles. From top position, Usman is suffocating and, he, and while he's not big on like dramatic round and pound, he'll wear on foes with like constant volume and it, add, it adds up. He, he does damage from top position. His takedown defense has looked outstanding during his whole career as he's excellent at fighting grips before any kind of body lock and he can also sprawl on a trigger if necessary. Uh, Kamaru can be a bit of a slow starter and he needs to make a few reads to get going. His defense at range can become suspect especially if he loses like handle of the initiative. And if he starts to react to like fence or loses control of the pressure because of the opponent's footwork, that's where Kamaru Usman is as his most vulnerable. Shimaev on the other hand, to be honest, we still don't know much about Shimaev against elite level opposition. We do know that he's a freakish athlete with excellent MMA chain wrestling and that he can pursue and overcome scrambles with an excellent blend of wrestling based rights and good fundamental uh, jiu-jitsu. He also makes his transition to submission easier with devastating ground and pound. On the feet, Chimaev is a bit raw, but he's a well put together striker. He has a solid jab, puts combination together well, mixes up low kicks here and there. He mostly does a good job of tucking his chin when he's sitting, but he, his head can be stationary and the chin up when he prolongs combinations or when he gets into pocket exchanges. Shimayev gets to look good when he has uh, a strong hold of the initiative as he's able to make his defensive reads, walk people down with his jab, looking to set up his thunderous right hand. But even then he's vulnerable to same time counters and other than a few like rehearsal tricks that he has, like a few slip counters or a few pivots here and there, when he draws like the, exactly the punch that he wants, his defense is mostly about the high guard or backing up. Cardio has always been a question mark for Shimayev and uh, he looked pretty winded uh, after Holland made him like scramble hard to get the submission victory. And that was only like one round, but Shimayev sprinted in that one. 
But he also faced it hard against uh, Gilbert Burns. But in that fight, to my surprise, he showed good composure, good ability to fight tired. Uh, his technique actually hold, held that uh, late into the fight. So that was that was encouraging for Shimaev. To be honest, the one of you thing that gives me pause here is that Usman took this fight on like 10 days uh, notice and he was not getting ready for a middleweight fight. Uh, Usman always been a big welterweight, but he's also one that takes care of not getting too big between camps and he always makes weight like without much trouble to be honest. I mean, he looks drained, but you can tell he makes the weight every time. And you have to compare that to Shimaev, who apparently got way too big for 170 and was on camp for a fight against Paulo Costa, who is massive. So I'm expecting Shimaev to show up super big here. Uh, I think Shimaev is probably going to be the bigger and maybe even stronger guy inside the cage. That All that said, I still got a side with Usman here. Uh, despite being old on the fear losing streak of his career, yada yada yada, he still has shown to be a fighter of a higher quality. Not only that, but the one who possesses the tools to give Shimai trouble. Usman, I feel like, can do most of the things that Burns uh, did to find success against Shimai, but Usman can do them while being a lot bigger and also having a solid jab that was, was one tool that Burns does not have. Like, yeah, yeah Burns has a jab. But it's not like this disrupting powerful tool that Usman carries in his hands. Shimaev uh, starts very hot and Usman is quite the contrary. So an early knockout for Kamsat is not out of the question. Much less given the strange circumstances, but I'm still picking the former champion Kamaru Usman by decision. And with that, we're finally at the main event. A rematch for the 155 title. The main event brings us a, an unexpected short notice rematch between featherweight and lightweight champions Alexander Volkanovski and Islam Mahachev. Volkanovski taking this fight with only 10 days of preparation makes this very concerning for the Australian fighters camp, especially when it comes to the physical preparation and the irony of the details with which he found success the first time around. The first time surprised the first fight surprised most fans with a somewhat of a reverse dynamic of what was expected, as Islam won most of the striking throughout the fight, but he wasn't as nearly as successful in posing his wrestling against his smaller opponent as more so as expected. Since then, Islam hasn't seen action and was preparing for a Charles Oliveira fight, and Borkanovsky defended his title against Jair Rodriguez. Rodriguez, obviously, not the grappler Volkanovski is. And in fact, Alex used his wrestling to dominate the Mexican for a good portion of their fight. He does possess some similar qualities on the striking department, especially as a lengthy southpaw, so that's something interesting. Volkanovski did a great job controlling the rhythm of the fight on the feet against Jair, but how much of that can be attributed to him being the one holding the grappling advantage? Like, we don't know. It seems like Volkanovski used the threat of the takedown against Jair to get like an easier, an easier hollowed initiative. And in fact, quite the contrary was true in his fight with Islam, where Makachev had him on the reactive a lot more because Volkanovski had to be concerned about the threat of the takedown. A lot of the anti-grappling tools that Volkanovski used in his first fight to neutralize Islam uh, are probably still going to be effective here. 
but who knows if the physicality and gas tank are going to hold up. Uh, Volkanovski coming in such a notice, uh, got surgery not long ago. Islam on his part will probably trust his striking more this time around, considering the success that he had on the first fight. And, and with that he could probably afford to be more selective with his entries to initiate the grappling, as he's mostly fought success uh, when Alex made mistakes more than forcing the issue out of nowhere. Just like the first time around, this is a very intriguing fight, uh, but sadly under less than perfect circumstances. That doesn't make this any less ex of an exciting fight, I'm super hyped for this. Volkanovski maybe has some adjustment under his sleeve and he's ready to shock the world, but ah, man, as much as, as it pains me, I gotta side with the bigger fighter with a full camp who already won this fight once. Yeah, I gotta pick Islam by decision here. And that's the pay-per-view, but yeah, I mean, some two late replacements are very interesting, uh, both moving up a division in Kamaru Usman and Alexander Volkanovski. Very excited about this fight. Let's check what is good about this uh, card. Uh, I'm not super high high on the on the Sharabuddin Magomedov train, but he looks to be exciting. And Bruno Silva is always in exciting fight. So the opener it's a very good uh, it's a good opener that it's a firefight, and that's what we like to see on an opener fight. Nathaniel Good versus Mohamed Naimov. It's going to be a banger. Do not miss that one for anything. I think Anshul Jubli versus Mike Breeden has the chance to be like the sleeper fight. The one that no one is expecting to be good, but might be good. Uh, maybe this one. Maybe not, because maybe Jubli just wrestles him. But yeah, if he stays on the feet, I think this one could be fun. What else we have? Javid Basharat versus Victor Henry is my pick for best fight of the night. Um, yeah, I think it's just a more interesting dynamic than even the main event and the co-main event, to be honest. Even if the fight is not as, as important, um, and even if the level of these fighters doesn't hold up to like Alexander Volkanovsky and Islam Mahachev, I think this one is the best fight. So I'm very excited for this one. What else is good? Uh, Tim Elliott versus Mokayev. Uh, it's probably going to be an exciting grappler fest. So yeah, I mean, looking forward to that one. To be honest, Nurmagomedov versus Kafurov like sounded like a nothing fight, like a gimme for Said when I first heard about it. But but Gafurov just brings the fight, so this one is probably going to be excited. Uh, in the same sense, but a way lower level of of intensity, Yaya versus Pick is probably going to be fun. Super silly, stupid fun, but fun nonetheless. And then um, the main card here is solid, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, the, uh, I'm super hyped for Bashwarat versus versus Victor Henry, but the main event is the one that carries the thing, and it's. It's one of the best fights you can make in MMA. It sucks that it comes in such short notice, but we can do more than just enjoy the show, to be honest. It's a great fight. Volkanovski, pound for pound number one, against a very good champion in Islam Mahacheva division above. So, yeah, I mean, cannot complain. This pay-per-view is very good. This one is good. Um, That would be the card, to be honest. Well, what do I say, to be honest? Like, what I'm being honest about... 
I'm just saying shit. I, I always start talking the stupidest shit at the end of the podcast, but but yeah, let's go into the atrium. <laughs> so remember that the full preview is brought to you by X Marshall. X Marshall is a combat sport brand dedicated to supporting the jiu-jitsu community. Their goal is to create a fun training environment with unique and exciting designs and promote the gym culture we all love. X Marshall offers a range of products including rash guards, shorts, spats, geese and streetwear and training equipment as well. Use code the fight site to get a 10% discount on your order. Now that's the fight site all caps, no spaces, and for the best deals and discounts, sign up to their mailing list and follow their socials at xmarshallofficial. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, xmarshall. I cannot speak. I'm ruining this, this whole thing. I'm just doing this th th sound out of nowhere and it, it makes me sound like I have a lisp, you know? But yeah, I mean, let's... Let's stop talking about how how shitty of a talker I am. And let's remember that if you want to support the fight site as an ongoing project, you can always support us on Patreon. The link is in the description. If you support us on Patreon, you get access to a big catalog of exclusive content that we cannot put anywhere else, including video stuff that was removed from YouTube, for example. And you also get access to our Discord server that is very, very cool. So yeah, support us on Patreon if you can. If you want to support me personally and you want to get something else out of your donation, you can always commission me to make a personalized video for you. Link in the description too. And I think that's all. I'm very excited for the fights. I'll catch you guys on Twitter. The day of the fights, I'll be tweeting live as I always do. Thank you so much, everyone. And I'll see you later. Bye.